Okay, good morning. It's 9.30 and we're going to get started in the book of Joshua. And I'm coming in pretty loud here. Uh, I've already heard this, so I'm not sure I want to hear it again. Uh, as uh, I was studying for the book of Joshua, I was thinking of... Uh, I was writing out, and I've also studied for judges for next week, and I thought, hey, this is, Scott said this in Deuteronomy last week, and Michael, uh, I know he covered this in, in uh, Leviticus, and Pastor J.D. went way back when, seven, eight weeks ago, he covered this in Genesis, and ah, there seems to be a flow here. And that really was encouragement for me to know that, you know what? We hear, and God is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's a nice statement. No, I mean, he really is. And that was a great encouragement. So I, if you don't hear anything else today, I hope you see that same boring God is alive through all of that. So as we take on the book of Joshua. So let's pray together. Father, this morning uh, we come to open your word and we find out that once again you were a God of the ages with a lot more ages to come. And you wrote some things as you said in Romans that I wrote this for your instruction and encouragement. And so, Father, today as we listen to what you wrote and gave to us, I pray that it'll make a difference in our lives and that we will not embarrass you on the streets tomorrow because we followed you wholeheartedly. In your name, amen. If this was a fourth grade Sunday school class, I'd probably uh, sing this song, uh, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. But if I sang that song, you'd all leave, so I won't sing it. Uh, but that song, Joshua fit the battle, that's pretty much all there is to Joshua. Well, those of you that read Joshua, that's not really true. There's a few other things in the book of Joshua. Actually, the storyline is the same as the storyline in every other book in the Bible. It's about God. And he created us. And he has a wonderful plan for our life. And he plans to take us through some terrible teaching times. Some are enjoyable, like an Ironman conference, and you get blessed. And some are this kind where you go behind the woodshed and hear the same thing from God. And eventually he says, I'm going to take you to heaven because my plan was to dwell with you. And that's encouraging. And so that's the storyline. Uh, but we blew it. And we blew it. And we blew it. And due to his kindness, 
part of his perfect plan is still to get his chosen people, the Israelites, to the promised land. And I didn't bring any of my famous maps or my timeline. That's kind of worn out. Because I'm not sure you'd be interested or could read it anymore. But there was a plan for God to take his people from point A to point B. And I find that great encouraged because we're in that plan. Those of us that have said yes to him. Uh, We find ourselves in previous lessons that God's taken Abraham from the Ur of Chaldees and said to go to Canaan and eventually went to Egypt. And uh, in chapter 12, that wonderful Abrahamic covenant, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's all true. However, this process called life, whether it's for us or for the original Israelites, uh, was long and painful. Not because of what God had in his original covenant or plan. And you know what I'm talking about. It's right here. And that happens time and time again. But due to God's real long plan, he uses a couple of famines, a couple of barren women, um, ten plagues, and a baby floating in the Nile River. And he eventually gets them to Mount Sinai. And after heading to, uh, toward the promised land, after 11 months at Mount Sinai, God's giving Moses commandments on how to live. And Moses continues that trip. Again, oops, we got the, as far as Kadesh Barnea, 11 days from the promised land. That could have been a great vacation. But some of you know Numbers 13 and 14, I think, of Kadesh Barnea. Moses sent 12 men into Canaan to spy out the land. And you know the rest of the story. 38 years later, at Mount Nebo, Moses dies. And now, finally, God's taking his people into the promised land, Canaan. And that's what this book of Joshua is about. The authorship is, seems to be Joshua. Chapter 24, we read, And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Several places, he uses the pronouns we and us. And he certainly had firsthand sight observation of the whole trip. He knew that. Uh, The end of the 
book reveals that after his death, that it was probably uh, Eliezer, the priest, and his son Phineas that wrote the last part of that. So here we are. The year is 1405 B.C. Moses had just died on Mount Nebo. And now the Israelites were tired of camping out. They were tired of manna. And their face was different. As Scott mentioned last week, and I think uh, Michael or uh, Kerry mentioned in Numbers, when they had left, there was obviously two census. One, there was about 601,000 plus or minus men and women. The other one, there was 603,000, I think, uh, men and women and children. It came to about two, two and a half million people. Um, their population was similar, but the faces were different. And that was some kind of crowd. Only two men who were in that original number, Joshua and Caleb, ever saw the promised land. That's not a high percentage. And that wasn't accidental. God had a wonderful plan for our life. 1.99999 million who started out on this trip were not going to get to the promised land? Yeah, that's true. If we go to Numbers, uh, chapter 14, I'm going to read verse 32. This is not easy reading. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert for 40 years. One year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins, and you'll know what it's like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert. Here, they will die. As Connie reminds me many times, but God, thank you. That's necessary. He still meant it when he had said he had this promise with Abraham and later with Moses, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And through you, all the people of the world will be blessed. So yeah, there's more to this cute little song about the walls come tumbling down. So where do we first pick up on Joshua? Uh, Joshua obviously was a Hebrew and he was a son of Nun coming from the tribe of Ephraim one of the two sons of Joseph. His name means Savior, or Yahweh saves. Um, he was obviously born in Egypt, into slavery, and was about 30 years old uh, at the time of the Exodus. So he intimately, personally knew this Israelite band. He was part of it. 
We first hear of him in Exodus 17. The Israelites had just left Egypt two months ago and were coming from Elam to the desert of Sin, which was hostile territory with a lot of stones and little water. In Exodus 17, verse 8, we read, And the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. That was Joshua's introduction as a general and later leader of the Israelites. In Exodus 24, uh, during the time of the confirming of the covenant at Mount Sinai, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide. Later, Moses would pitch a tent of meeting with the pillar of cloud coming down. In Exodus 33, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses returned to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. In addition to the day-to-day experiences and training that Joshua had under Moses, he was also selected and commissioned by Eliezer the priest. Numbers 27, the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. Caleb had the same thing, incidentally. And lay your hands on him. Moses did as the Lord commanded he took Joshua and had him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. So it was obvious that Joshua really would be the follower of Moses in leading God's people to the promised land and eventually settling it. Now, listen to this. The purpose of the book of Joshua is to give an official account of the historical fulfillment of the Lord's prophet promise to the patriarchs to give Israel the land of Canaan through the process of a holy war. Very obviously, I didn't write that statement. But I can't improve on it either. So let's read it again. The purpose of the book of Joshua is to give an official account of the historical fulfillment of the Lord's promise to the patriarchs to give Israel the land of Canaan through the process of a holy war. As we go through the rest of the book of Joshua, we're going to see that it's quite obvious that the covenants with Abraham and Moses are played out on a day by day and event by event, uh, one at a time. Overall, Joshua is a 25-year period of time, from 1405 to 1380 B.C. It starts out on the eastern bank of the Jordan River and occurs in the land of Canaan. There's 24 chapters. The first 12, God takes the Israelites and he brings them in and they basically go beat the tar out of the Canaanites. In the last 12, he uses them to settle tribe by tribe into their own specific lands. 
Now, this was not Joshua's first rodeo. Uh, 38 years earlier, you remember that uh, he and 11 others had been sent out as spies to the same area. <clears throat> he must have remembered that trip. Coming back thinking, hmm, been here before. What was it like then? What was my purpose for going? And now I'm, I'm here again in a bit of a different role. But I've been called by the same God to do part of his same plan. And you remember that land is one with flowing with milk and honey and no, they're big giants and all that stuff, but good grief. Think about God. And he and Caleb came back, unfortunately, and they gave him a minority report. And it was voted down. This time was different. He was not the aide to Moses, nor even the general to go in and fight the Amalekites. This was for real. He was now the leader of the Israelites who had just heard God say in Joshua 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, the Israelites. Joshua is a bit nervous. God's not. Surprise. To fix that little problem for Joshua, God continues in the first chapter, and he says, as I was with Moses. Ah, Joshua says, I can relate to that. I watched that every day. Some ways I didn't plan on, I was surprised, I had questions about, but every day. God told Moses something, and now he's telling me the same thing that he said to him. So we got something to bank on at least. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not very often forsake you. You know, anyway, he said, I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And it's so true of so many times in Scripture when there's really emphasis, you say it three times. Holy, that's not sufficient. Add two more. That's probably the epitome of that threesome in some ways. But here he says three times to Joshua. Joshua's response was, huh? No. Joshua knew God. He... Uh, Heard him loud and clear. Chapter 1, verse 10. He's ready to go. So Joshua offered, ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now we'll cross the Jordan to go in and take possessions of the land the Lord your God is giving to you for your own. You've got to be kidding. Goats and camels all over the place, 
two million people standing in front of their pup tents and, and all the goodwill pots and pans, and you say, go in and take it. That's the population of Kansas. Doesn't say anywhere that Moses changed or Joshua changed his mind and went home. Says God, that's just. I'm sorry, but it's just more than I thought we were talking about. Moses or Joshua knew his God, and so he recognized who he was serving. But I can imagine him walking around a bit, going. God, uh, promise, covenant, seed, Abraham, God. That takes a little bit to sink in. And so I don't question whether he had some of those moments. But ultimately it all boiled down to what did God say about being successful and of good courage. Again, three things. The law was not to depart from his mouth. Two, he was to meditate it on it day and night. And three, do everything written in it. Did I miss anything? So how is this all going to happen? Joshua is not only a faithful follower of a powerful God, he was also an army general. God gave the ability to think through some military strategy, including sending spies to check out Jericho, the first and the obvious obstacle. Besides, he not only knew the practical methods of spying out the land, he also knew the godly implications of it firsthand. Ironically, or maybe not so ironically, the two spies he sent into Jericho just happened to spend three nights under some hay bales on the roof of a prostitute, Rahab. The king of Jericho got paranoid, and Rahab got saved. In chapter 2, verse 8, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and had a great fear of you has fallen on us so that we who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the... This is a prostitute now. How the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Some so-called experts questioned the harlotry or the salvation issues. But Hebrews 11 refers to her faith, not her possession or her profession. That sounds a lot like, and all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed through you. 
Now that Joshua has a spy report, it's time to head west. Again, the orders were to move out in three days. This time, it's very specific. This is not one of those, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. This was, don't move until you see the Ark of the Covenant. And be sure to concentrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. When they saw the Ark of the Covenant carried by the Levitical priests, they were to follow the Ark. In verse 4, it says, Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Just a little aside. When you got a question, follow the Ark. Because for today, right now, where we all stand, I've really never been this way before. I think I've kind of been in the neighborhood, but I've really never been today this way before. So I need to follow the ark. After two million people crossed on dry ground at flood stage, God was glorified. Joshua was exalted as a leader. The Israelites were encouraged, and the Canaanites were scared out of their wits. Now, God never seems to miss out on the opportunity for a children's sermon. So if you go to chapter 4, the fourth verse. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Hmm. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when, not if, your children ask, what's these stones all about? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Dad, you been piling up any rocks lately? God not only has a children's sermon, he also has one for adult males. Remember, they'd been traveling for 40 years And in spite of God's faithfulness, the Israelites had become quite adept at complaining and taking their spiritual responsibilities lightly. None of the men who were born on that trip were circumcised. In chapter 5, it records their return to the Lord at Gilgal, where all the adult males were circumcised. This was vital as part of the Abrahamic covenant guaranteeing the continuation of Abraham's seed and of their everlasting possession of the land. Gilgal became their base camp through much of the conquering of Canaan. As is true, not surprising, God's perfect timing. The Israelites first stepped their foot in Canaan on the 14th day of the month just in time for Passover. 
That's way more than I'll be home for Christmas. Just in time for Passover. This was their third one. The first one was the night they left in Exodus 12 when they left Egypt. The second one was they left the base of Mount Sinai to head over to Canaan. And now the third one, they crossed into the land of Canaan. Shortly after that, the men were after that the men were circumcised. They celebrated the Passover. The, the, the manna stopped, and they ate from the produce of the land. What a weekend. And God alone scheduled it. Now that they've finally arrived in the promised land, it's time to roll up their sleeves and conquer the Canaanites. Right in front of them is Jericho, their first big test. But Joshua had learned that he didn't make any moves without God's direction. God had a personal reminder for Joshua about how this would happen. Chapter 5, verse uh, 13 says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him and a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Tell Joshua. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the ground you stand on is holy. And Joshua did so. Seems like Joshua's trainer, Moses, that started to ring some bells. Hmm, I'm familiar with that. Once again, instant obedience just seemed to kind of work out best. Now that God has Joshua's attention, he could he could come up with a, I would think anyway, a sensible strategy plan about how they're going to take Jericho. He could send some troops right up the front. And he could send another group around the backside to prevent them from escaping. He could send a third group over the north wall. Oh boy, that wasn't God's plan. He says, no, that's not how we're going to do it, boys. I'm going to take the militarily least of you, the Levites, and we're going to have you form a procession with the ark, followed by the neighborhood band. Do this once a day, and then go home at night. And then the next morning, get up and go do it again. Oh, and the third day, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, you get up and you go do it again. Then on the seventh day, you go seven times. That would be a good surprise for the Jericho army. Now everybody shout as loud as you can. Huh? Anything wrong with this plan? When an idea sounds crazy, but it's obviously directly from the Lord, that's probably a good time to sing the song, 
trust and obey. For there's no, well, there's a couple I know, for there's no other ways. And Joshua did. And once again, God proved himself faithful as he said, I will bless you and all the world will know my name and all the world will know my name and his name shall be called. At the name of Jesus, we're seeing a pattern here. That was the first of 31 battles that Joshua and the Israelites would fight. Why did it go so easy? Well, I suppose God wanted to remind the people uh, who's in charge. I said I'd fight for you, and I'll do it, and I'll do it right. And the other thing is, they weren't exactly military vets. They hadn't done a lot of fighting. Regardless of God's shining favor, his blessing is not and never was a paid-up insurance policy for future disobedience. Arrogance and stealing are still sin, and God took it seriously. We find Israel's response to God's victory in Jericho in chapter 7 but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. They also were somewhat overconfident in that they only sent two to 3,000 men to fight Ai, and they were badly defeated. However, Joshua did know God. And he responded in a godlike manner. Chapter 7, verse 8 and 9, it says, Oh Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out, wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? What then will you do for your own great name? After Jericho and Ai, instead of continuing to immediately destroy other cities, <coughs> listen up. <laughs> Scott. Scott called me about this. Uh, Joshua took everybody on a spiritual retreat. In Deuteronomy 7, Moses had commanded the Israelites that when they entered the promised land, they needed to renew their covenantal vows to the Lord. They left their base camp at Gilgal and traveled 30 miles up the Jordan Valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, which was a valley that was acoustically perfect. The town of Shechem was in there. Chapter 8 Verse 30 to 34. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. <coughs> on it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. 
There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the law. Now it's time to continue the process of conquering Canaan. In addition to God literally fighting himself, he gave Joshua a brilliant military mind. After splitting Canaan's potential strengths by defeating Jericho and Ai and clearing out that central uh, group of power cities, he next takes on the southern campaign. God's power is not only seen and lived out by his people, it's also evident that it's also for anyone that has no intentions of being obedient to him. And especially when he's really, really been faithful. So to attempt that counteract and attempt to counteract that, five southern Amorite kings joined in an attempt to destroy the Israelites. But since God had assured Joshua several times to be of good courage, even while in his early leadership, Joshua took his troops on a 25-mile march, much of it uphill in the dark. That was uphill both ways. Uh, from their camp at Gilgal to Gibeon. There they destroyed the five kings with supernatural events of a powerful God. Chapter 10 records God using both a tremendous hailstorm and making the sun stand still for 24 hours. Verse 14 says, Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Some of you remember the valley of Agilon. Chapter 11 ends with a summary of the conquering of the land of Canaan. Verse 16, so Joshua took this entire land. 18, Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. Verse 23, so Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses. And he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. Time out. Now we start chapter 12, the second half of God's plan for his people, with his using Joshua to divide the land up according to the tribes. That land was probably 50 miles wide and 150 miles long. And just looking at the, uh, chapters 13 through 19, read like a long uh, uh, real estate deed. If I were in charge there, I'd, uh, let's see, 50 miles wide, 150 miles long, two and a half million people, uh, so many people per tribe. You guys go from um, the Jericho, you go west to Mount whatever, and you guys go from the Mediterranean Sea east to the Johnson County line, 
No, it didn't work that way. Surprisingly, God had a better plan. And he had already used Moses and Jacob to explain his arrangements. In Genesis 49, we find Jacob blessing his sons. Verse 1. And Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. He calls them by name. He blesses them. And he makes a prediction of their future. In Deuteronomy 32, we find Moses giving his blessing to each of those tribes. Uh, Is there a little connect between what God said? And incidentally, that will happen tomorrow too, so be encouraged. That won't stop today. The tribe of Levi was not to have any land because they were to spend all their energies serving the people. The tribes of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh had already received <coughs> excuse me, their land east of the Jordan River, which had given, been given to them by Moses back in Numbers 32. The tribes of Judah and Joseph, which was Ephraim and the other half tribe of Manasseh, they had received land that Jacob had promised them. So Joshua appointed three men from each of the uh, rest of the tribes to do a survey. Then he divided up the rest of the land by casting lots at Shiloh. Guess who controlled the lots? Just prior to the assignment of the areas of the promised land, Joshua had them all gather at Gilgal. This was when Caleb was 85 years old. He gave his final testimony of what God had done in his life. Incidentally, Caleb is my favorite in the Bible. Next to Nehemiah. And especially with his tested friend Joshua standing there. Caleb said he was just as strong as he was at age 40. And he requested land at Hebron so he could finish fighting the Anakites. Bring them on. As the last land to be given, Joshua was given what he had asked for, Timnath-Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, which is where he was buried. As we near the end of Joshua, it would be comforting to believe that the Israelites were finally in the promised land and had now settled down in the tribal areas God had given them. Not so. As we end in chapter 11, with most of the battles completed, we read, Then the land had rest for more. Chapter 13, 1 starts out, When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, You're old, and there are still very large areas of land to to take over. And the Israelites had problems with the obedience in terms of God's command of completely destroying them. And I would, uh, I have some more parts of this story, but it is getting to be 10.15, and since I'm going to be doing Joshua next week, I'm going to, Judges, I'm going to pick up here next week at the beginning of Judges. So you're all dismissed, uh, and take time out, 
and stay tuned in for judges next week. And now you can go wait for 15 minutes and come back in and we'll worship the Holy One of Israel.